Okay, well now it's time to get into the Word again. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning and looking at verses 27 through 31 and talking about a priority check, a priority check this morning is what I really think this passage serves to the readers. Let's go ahead and pray together again. Father, we again are just uh, blessed to call you our Father and our God. Bless this time, Lord. Lead us in our journey through your word this morning and make it real to us. Speak to our hearts, Lord, through your spirit that we, we take home what this passage means to our lives and how we can apply it in different ways. So, Lord, just uh, guide us through this and may you be glorified. Jesus Christ be magnified and each person here be edified in you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as I said a moment ago in the announcements, this is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Technically yesterday, we're all aware of that. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, we witnessed a series of events that I'm sure got our complete attention and challenged even our daily priorities. You can all probably remember where you were when you first heard the news or turned on the TV and you saw the World Trade Center smoking. That's at least when I saw it. I think I, I tuned in right as the first one had been hit and it was smoking. I think, I think I saw the second plane, or at least the explosion, and then you're watching them smoke and you're hearing about it, and then what? You see those, those buildings just start to come down. And I remember thinking, you know, you didn't know what was next. You had no idea what was next. I, was a, I had just moved to Wisconsin. I was staying with the family, Kashan family, if you know who they are, and I was just starting my studies at Berean Bible Institute in 2001. Uh, I was 20 years old. And, uh, I, you know, I remember having thoughts like, are we going to war? Is it possible we could see another draft? I mean, you're just thinking through all kinds. You don't have any idea what's next. You're just seeing this unfolding, and you don't know it's just, just the beginning. And, and you, you watched it happen, and, and thankfully... You know, by by later by by midday, you know the damage had been done. Every plane in the nation was grounded, and it was you know, and it was it, things started to settle from that point on, right? So we witnessed all that, and and what that reminded us of, I'm sure, as any kind of disaster can, is that life is but for a moment. It's a vapor. It reminds us of the brevity and uncertainty of life when we see such things unfold. We, we recognize that none of us know what's tomorrow. None of us know when our final day on this earth has dawned. I was reading something that somebody shared on Facebook about all these different people. They woke up that morning or they went to bed the last night. And it was so many first responders, so many employees, so many uh, parents and so forth. And, and none of them were alive by, you know, 11 a.m. that morning because of those attacks. We never know. We never know. So we remember those things because they have so many lessons to teach us. And we saw then, you know, heroism on a large scale. Probably most in my, and personally in my lifetime. This is the response to that. The unity, the, the people coming together, people sacrificing, giving to help people to find some sense of justice after that attack. We saw first responders you know, rush into danger. Many of them lost their lives in those attacks in the aftermath. And they did that in hopes of saving others. 
We saw ordinary individuals step up in a moment of need, and in some cases leading others to safety. And in the case of United Airlines Flight 93, they thwarted the plans of the hijackers on that final and fourth plane, leading to its crash in a field in, what was it, Pennsylvania, and everybody on board died. They gave their lives, but they saved others. They saved others. You know, we think about things like that, and it's important for us to know what real sacrifice is and what it looks like, what real need is, what that looks like. You know, you and I, we have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At least I hope that you do if you're here this morning, that you know him personally as your Savior, that you trusted that he's died for your sin and has was buried and rose again the third day, that you put your trust in that so you know him personally. But if you have that knowledge of him and you know that life is short, And even those here that we might call the aged, I'm certain they would tell you, life is short. (laughs) It goes by in a blink of an eye. We don't know when our last day is. And we know this world is dangerous. This world did not just become dangerous in the last 18 months. (laughs) This world's been dangerous since Adam and Eve ate fruit in the Garden of Eden. And the next, you know, a little bit later, what you read of the first murder in the Bible. The world's been dangerous since the beginning because of sin and sinners in this world. But all of that, what it does is it helps to shape our priorities, that we are challenged by such events and such thinking to always bring our priorities in line with God's priorities. And that's really what this passage is about this morning. You're gonna, you see him talking about gifts, apostles, prophets. He goes on down another list. But ultimately what he was doing with the Corinthians is challenging their value system their priority list because what they prized wasn't always wasn't so great in God's eyes and it was again just part of the recipe that was causing them so many issues in their church let's read uh, our passage again 27 through 31 where Paul writes now you are the body of Christ and members individually and God has appointed these in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. What we see in the first verse, and... uh, well, the first few verses is that we need to learn to value what God values. That's what he's saying. And I know these things are real to you already, but this is what he was telling the Corinthians and what we can learn from. We're learning to value what God values. And first of all, he tells the Corinthians, you all are the body of Christ and members individually. You are the body. And The point here is that the body of Christ needs every member functioning. It's simple. It's a way of review of what we talked about in the previous part of this passage. Paul gave the whole body illustration, focused on the physical body. We need eyes. We need ears. We need hands. We need feet. We need it all. That's a body. It's all those different parts doing their functioning all to the benefit of the body. And he was explaining that to them and talking about you know, how as the body we, we comfort, 
other members of the body and we rejoice with members of the body and that kind of uh, sentiment was given in earlier verses. And he comes to verse 27 and it's kind of like his emphatic, you know, pound the pulpit moment maybe you might say, (laughs) point the finger moment. But he says, you are the body of Christ. And it's been leading up to this moment. He's talking about the body, how a body works, how a body functions. And he says, and you're the body of Christ. You're the church, the body of Christ. And, and so, again, everything that we've learned about comes roaring back in verse 27, that we need each other, that each member is indispensable, and that the, the best way for the body to move forward is when every member of the body is functioning where God has placed them by walking by faith with him. That's what God wants. And again, Paul's challenging their emphasis on worldly things and worldly values and worldly wisdom and becoming jealous of one another. And they, they, they were sorting into different factions and division. There was schisms. And he said he didn't want, God doesn't want schisms in the body. So again, it, it all calls back to mind that we need to view each other the way God views each member, as important, as necessary, and let's help each other move forward so each one can reach your potential in Christ. That's one takeaway from verse 27. But another thing that strikes me in verse 27 is, again, he says, you are the body of Christ. And, and, and the thing that gets me on that is, it's like saying, Nobody else is going to do this. Nobody else is going to rise up and serve God in this sin-cursed world. You're the only body there is. <laughs> You're the only body of Christ in this world. And, and there's, the, there's like sort of the implication that we are the hands of the Lord. We are the feet of the Lord. We are the mouthpiece of the Lord. What is our life demonstrating to this world? You know... We can shake our head a lot about what's in the world, but what are we being to the world? He says, you are the body of Christ. You're the only one there is. We are God's chosen servants for this day, for this time and place. In in the course of human events, we're here for now for God's purpose and plans. And what he calls us to is to let go of pride Don't seek vainglorious things. Don't try to elevate yourself, your reputation, and all that. Don't let life be about you. Let life be about serving him. This is the lesson that comes through over and over through the Corinthian epistle. You know, thinking back to 9-11, it reminds us the importance of leaving no one behind Uh, There was an individual, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Ted Anderson, who understood this principle. He was at the Pentagon when it was struck by the plane. And he immediately began to escort people out as smoke was filling the building. You know, as the, the building shook and smoke filled the hallways, he immediately jumped into action, began to find out how do we get out of here, called out right away, get out and made their way through the doors, got people out. He personally escorted a pregnant worker to safety. He then carried an injured woman away from the building, and then he went back in to the Pentagon to help others. 
While in there, he and another man helped rescue a woman pinned under a fire-safe file cabinet. Those things are very heavy, I can tell you from personal experience. I would not want to be under one. But he got a woman out from under that, got her back outside, inside the Pentagon, saw a guy on fire, went up to him, extinguished the flames, got him out. And then he tried to go back in, and by then the first responders were there and the firefighters were there, and they said, you're not going back in, it's too dangerous. And they got almost into a tussle because he was determined, I'm going back in there. Because I, I, you know, he's thinking, I know people in there. But he wasn't going to leave anybody behind. But as they were kind of working things out with the firefighters, you know what happened? That part of the Pentagon, those five floors, collapsed as, they, as he was trying to get back in the building. And so actually that saved his life by being prevented to go back in. Had he gone back in that last time, he probably would have been one of the casualties of that attack. But again, he was determined to leave no one behind. And that's what I take from verse 27 of our passage is that nobody in the body of Christ is to be left behind or thought to be inferior or thought to be not as useful or as important or necessary. Everyone matters, and we're going to keep coming alongside of each other. We're not going to leave anyone behind because we're all the body of Christ, and we need each other. Now, Paul goes on, and he gets into listing out some of these spiritual gifts again. Some of these we've heard about, but he starts talking about other things, and he uh, enumerates a gift. He actually used first, second, third language here, and we'll talk about that. But as we look at these gifts and how God structures this list, uh, what we want to see here is that God values gifts according to need rather than show. God values gifts according to need rather than show. That's what we see through these next few verses as he talks about these different gifts again. Verse 28 reminds us that God is the one who has placed each member in the body as he desired. It says, and God has appointed these in the church. The word for appointed means to place It's the same word, if you go back up to verse 18, where it says God has set the members. It's the same word in the Greek. You could translate it exactly the same. God placed the members in the body where he was pleased to do so, where he knew they would function best and how they would use their giftedness. He's done that. So he reminds us of that principle again. Now, as we start looking at these different gifts, beginning with apostles and so on, I think it's always good to see that we recognize there's always a need for humility in some of these kinds of studies and understanding because some things is hard to nail down 100%, and we give some latitude for that as people wrestle with some different words and what they mean and how, how they function. Um, we need some humility in that. It's not always easy to get a real clear picture of exactly how things were unfolding in the first century churches with all these different things going on. Uh, We read about it, we try to make sense of it, and we try to apply it the best we understand it. So we recognize that. We need some humility and all that kind of stuff. But what we see here again is Paul enumerates a list of gifts. Now you think, why number them at all? What what is he saying here? We We gotta make sure our thinking is correct. Because we tend to think in ranking systems, 
You know, I ask my kid, hey, what's your favorite dessert? What's your favorite kind of cake? What's your favorite kind of pie? Uh, you know, what's your favorite meal? You know, you ask things like that, and you can rank them, right? You know, well, my favorite, my, my very most favorite thing is this, and then kind of come down in the different tiers. And that's how we generally think of ranking. And you might be tempted to read that, that uh, list and think that that's kind of how God's doing. He's ranking, like, like uh, who's best, and this person's, this person's important, but these people, yeah, you know, not as important. Well, that, that can't be because that would be completely contradictory to everything he's already said in this passage. So how he orders it is different than probably how we would tend to think. He's challenging priorities because the Corinthians thought that tongues was the best. Oh, my goodness. They wanted to speak in tongues. They wanted to showcase what they could do to anybody that would pay attention to them. What does that sound like? Does that sound like humility and love and consideration and concern for others? Or does it sound like vain glory? It's vain glory. That's, that's where they were living. The, the world had so influenced their church and their mindset. So they had a whole different value system than what God had as his value system. And that's what Paul's correcting. They thought the superpowers, that's what you want. Let's put on a show. Let me show you what I can do doesn't matter how it affects you just be just be just rejoice in what i can do <laughs> look look at me look at me that was the corinthian uh, way of doing it here that paul's dealing with and they went so far as to start looking down on others that's why you had to say no the, the hand needs the foot too the eyes need the ears so he's correcting that um, so in this list where he starts going one, two, three, and then he says afterwards, afterwards, as he lays these gifts out, it could be that he is giving gifts in, in sort of the idea of how what gifts are helping others versus just maybe more of a show. Which gifts are more helpful to people and less just being a sign or a wonder that people can kind of go, ooh, ah, neat, you know? That he may be listed. Now, another thought is when he starts listing apostles, prophets, teachers, and down the line, that it may be talking about a historic sequence. That apostles came first, and as they ministered, then prophets came alongside them as they established churches, and then teachers came up in the church, churches as like elders and pastors, and then within the church, you start having helps and administrations, and it, and it starts to become a more functioning body. And I generally think there's, I think there's truth to that, that, that there is a sequence of how it usually worked in, a, in the New Testament with apostles, prophets, and so on. But I, I tend to think that God is just saying, let's go after what's helpful to others, not just what makes me look good. Okay, that, that's where he's challenging their priorities. I kind of think that's what he's doing here. You know, tongues... Uh, that wouldn't be the gift necessarily that's going to go start a church. If you, if you go up to a, I mean, unless you're going up to somebody and speaking a language that, that's their language that you wouldn't have known otherwise, it might be helpful. Paul said that he, speak, he spoke in tongues more than all of them later in this epistle. So apparently he had the gift of tongues, which I'm, sure, I'm certain served him very well as an apostle going out from region to region, encountering different local dialects and so forth, and it may have been helpful for him to speak in more native languages at times. But the way the Corinthians were looking at tongues was a sign. 
Nobody would understand it unless there was an interpreter. They're in a church. Everybody's speaking Greek because that's the language of where Corinth is. It's in the ancient, uh, ancient Greece. So they're speaking Greek. And if they started talking, I don't know, in some other language, pick a language, I don't know, nobody in that congregation would have understood a word of it unless there was an interpreter. And then the interpreter would have stood up and would have interpreted. And you think, well, what would be the point? Just talk to me in the language I already know. Let's, let's, let's simplify this, right? Let's simplify this. But, that's, but they wanted the glory of it. Look what I can do. And so these gifts were, become, were beginning to be abused again. So again, you could understand, like, isn't it, isn't it more necessary to have somebody sent to a new place to reach people with the gospel and establish the church than for you to sit in your own church and talk in a language that nobody can understand? Is that really, who does that really minister to? See, that's the issue he's laying out here. It may make you look good. Uh, you know, I could get up here and, like, maybe try to show off some special skills I have. I could juggle a little bit. You know, maybe I could stand on my hands or do a handstand. But, but what would that do for you except, like, okay, that's fun. How would it minister to you, right? be kind of like that. So he's correcting the priority list, showing, let's look at what God values. God values ministry, service to others, love for fellow man. So which of these gifts speak to those needs? You know, and how, and how are we using them? So he lists apostles first, and we're going to break down these gifts, so bear with me a little bit as we do take the time and try to unpack these words a little bit and understand them. And I'm going to give you some cross-references, and you can write them down. I'll read a few. We're not going to turn to every one of them, but you can make some notes on your outline or on your own piece of paper if you want to do some checking on things later. But he lists apostles first. He says, first apostles. And we understand that apostles were... Originally, those chosen specifically by Jesus Christ and sent out with the respective message. And there's sort of two categories of those. There were the 12 apostles that Jesus hand-selected, and then he sent back into Israel to his lost sheep, as he called them, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to minister to the nation, to be the 12 apostles to the nation built on 12 tribes, and their names are going to be on the 12 gates of New Jerusalem, it talks about. But anyway, he picked these 12 men to be his sent ones to Israel to preach about the kingdom of heaven and get Israel ready for this kingdom and for the Messiah to come. And then you have later the apostle Paul, who was hand-selected by Jesus Christ right out of heaven. Jesus, or Paul, yeah, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. And he picked, he hand-selected him, and he was his chief enemy, by the way, which is just crazy to think about, the, the level of grace manifested in that moment. But he, he selected Paul, and he told Paul, I'm going to send you far hence to the Gentiles, to kings of men, to Jewish people, to basically to the whole world. And he was preaching the gospel of the grace of God. And what you see in the Bible, Israel was set aside nationally, the gospel of the grace of God came to the forefront and, and, and Jesus Christ went out to the Gentile world under the leadership of, of the Apostle Paul there in the book of Acts. Now those 12 and Paul, since they were hand-selected by Jesus and commissioned directly by the risen Lord, uh, we might call them the primary apostles. They were the first ones. They had authority because that word apostle had the idea of whoever sent you, you bear with you their authority. So if Jesus Christ sent you, when you say something, 
Jesus Christ is talking through me. You better listen up. This is the message. And just to put an emphasis on that, when these, these respective men did go out and give a message to people, a lot of these other gifts were there too, like tongues and miracles, because it further proved they really were apostles and they really were the people God was speaking through. But those men we might call the primary apostles. They derived their authority from Christ. They received direct revelation from the Lord. Uh, but even later... And even within the context of the body of Christ, other apostles came on the scene. And many of them were sent out by churches or or other apostles themselves. And let me give you some individuals and references that you can connect the dots maybe in your own study. But 2 Corinthians 8.23 reads, If anyone inquires about Titus... He is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And I read that passage because it talks about messengers of the churches. And you see that word messenger? Guess what it is? You could translate it apostles. It's the Greek word apostolos. It's the exact same word that's used of Paul and the Twelve and other apostles you read about. He says there's apostles or sent ones of the churches. The churches sent out people at times, and they were called apostles. In our Bibles, translated, at least here, as messengers. And he mentions in that very verse the person Titus and, and other brethren. And he seems like he's calling all of them apostles of the churches. In other words, the churches sometimes sent other people on specific missions or to specific places, and they were also went under the, the, the headline of apostle. Barnabas is also referred to as an apostle in Acts 14.4. He was originally sent by the Jerusalem church to Antioch, and then later the Antioch church sent him out with Paul to go to the Gentile world. He was sent out by the church at Antioch, and he's called an apostle in places in Scripture. Apollos is called an apostle in this very epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 and 9. Paul talks about I and Apollos, and a little bit later he says, we the apostles. So it seems like he's including Apollos as an apostle, a sent one. By the way, that's what the word apostle means, sent one, if I didn't make that clear. Silas and Timothy are seemingly called apostles in 1 Thessalonians 2, 6, so they're included. Again, Paul uses plural language about we the apostles in that verse, and Silas and Timothy are included, it seems. The man Epaphroditus Do you recall that name? He was the guy that the Philippians sent to Rome to bring relief to the Apostle Paul, to bring a gift to Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome. And Paul calls him the messenger of the church in Philippians 2.25. And again, the word messenger is the word apostle. He was an apostle in that sense. He was sent by a church, so he was an apostle. There's other cases maybe for some other individuals, maybe that aren't as direct or implicit in verses, but there's some possibility of others. Some count as many as 25 total in the New Testament that are called apostle in some sense. So there may be others. But the the thing we want to recognize, though, is that these other guys we just talked about, it would probably be better to refer to them as more like secondary apostles. They were still sent But Jesus Christ didn't come down and hand-select them. They were selected by churches or the other apostles, so it was kind of second-hand, if you will. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean it in a way of, like, how does the authority go? 
You see, these, these apostles, I don't think were, would be, we could say were given the same level of authority as the 12 and, and Paul was. Those people were specifically sent by Jesus Christ personally with a specific message. These other men came under them to some, to some degree. And, uh, and, they ha- and they learned the message through the, the other apostles that came before them. Um, and that actually can be bore out in Scripture. But anyway, guys like Titus, obviously, or Timothy, uh, if they're apostles, well, they learned it through Paul. So they, they came under him, but it was the fact that the churches sent them. So we might think of it this way. Timothy, for example, was found, uh, I don't know if that's a good word, but he was, he, he, he was known to Paul from the area of Lystra and Derby, which is in what we would call Galatia anyway. And so Paul saw that he was a faithful, dependable man and wanted him to go with him out to the Gentiles. And so Timothy agreed. And it may be that it was considered that the church there at Derby may have been, they kind of helped support Timothy and they sent him onto that mission with Paul. Because so, that's, again, the, 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 the basic idea of apostle means sent one. Of course, there are the apostles, the primary apostles, uh, that had authority given to them directly by Jesus Christ, and not everybody called an apostle would have that. Those men were getting revelation. Paul, on all, multiple occasions, got spoken to by the risen, resurrected Lord. I don't know that that was true for all these other guys. At least, I mean, there was other things like prophecy going on. But, but that was all passing off. So, and think of it this way. Anytime a church gets planted anywhere, generally speaking, somebody has to be sent. That's always step number one. Uh, for the church in Corinth to exist, somebody was sent. And in their case, it happened to be Paul uh, and, and Timothy and Silas, I think, were involved. Maybe Luke, I'm forgetting. It's all in the book of Acts. You can go read about how the Corinthian church started in the book of Acts. But somebody had to be sent. Somebody had to be, you know, an, an apostolos, an, a sent one to go. And then they arrived on the scene first, started reaching people with the gospel, started teaching and speaking and bringing people up into maturity in Christ and planting a church in that area. And then those men often moved along. They, they went back out. And they left others with the care of the churches, called elders and teachers and so forth. That's how it happened in the book of Acts. So we're deriving a lot of our understanding from that record. So again, you have apostles, but under that broader heading, you've got primary apostles like Paul and the Twelve who had apostolic authority. They received revelation. And then then you have another tier that were sent people, sometimes from churches, and they they didn't have the level of authority. And they didn't have the level of of revelation necessarily given to them. But you can see, so I think it wise in some sense, and I don't know if these are the best words to choose when I'm about to say, but it may be wise a lot of times when some of these gifts, like apostles and even prophets, it may be good to consider that the office of an apostle and the function of an apostle are not necessarily always identical that there can be a technical function of an apostle without being in that original office as a, you know, authority, receiving revelation, and, and, and being, being at that level. You know what I'm saying? Those men were specifically chosen. But the function, we still need to send. There still need to be people, messengers to go out to be sent. And I think that it is fair to consider that missionaries today are on a generic sense or a, or a secondary sense, 
would be like the apostles of today, right? Because missionary is one that is sent on a specific mission or task. It comes from the Latin missio, which, guess what, means to send. It's just the, the Latin version of the Greek word apostolos, to send. Because the missionaries today, they're going out to places like Brazil and Southeast Asia and Africa, and, and, and especially Southeast Asia, and places where Christ has never been known. They're being sent out by the churches, a lot of times organized through other parachurch ministries, but they're being sent out. They're the messengers of the churches, in a sense, going out to far places beyond to bring Christ to them. And if, and if, and if they don't go, who will go? How else are you going to get a church planted? It's always the first step. Somebody has to be sent, okay? And I think that's part of what the word apostle captures. All that to say, today we're not looking for people with apostolic authority that receive revelation and can tell you what to do on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's not around anymore. Those, we'll call them revelatory gifts, they're gone. They passed off the scene. He speaks, right here is the revelation that he wants us to operate by. He wants us to know him through here. So we don't need apostles, and and apostles and prophets, at least in the primary sense, had a foundational aspect. They had to establish the body of Christ in the world. So you needed that level of apostolic authority and revelation before the word of God was complete, and as the body of Christ was being established, there is a foundational aspect to those ministries as well. He next talks about prophets. They also were foundational. Um, a lot of times in, when you read about how churches were planted in the book of Acts, prophets come alongside the apostles. They, they, they give credence to the message. They repeat it. They, uh, and sometimes the prophets, I mean, there's even two areas of their ministry. It could be what we generally think of to foretell in the sense of like God told me something, I'm going to tell you. We see that in the Bible. You see that with a guy named Agabus in the book of Acts who predicted that there was a famine coming and later predicted that Paul would be arrested in Jerusalem. He was predicting the future because God was telling him so. You can read about Agabus in Acts 11:28 and chapter 21, 10, and 11. But prophet also has the idea of forth tell, to speak out, to speak out, to speak forth the truth. And so, again, we might think of prophet as maybe primary and secondary. The primary apostles may be the ones designated in the New Testament that, had a, that, that did receive revelation or messages from the Lord. But there's still a need of a function of people to tell forth what God has already said in his word. And some people do seem to have more an affinity to be, for example, like an itinerant speaker that goes from place to place laying out the truth in a very understandable and impactful way. You could probably think of people that may fit into a category like that. Again, we wouldn't say we're not looking for revelation and prophecy, but people are still needed to foretell God's truth. He next lists teachers. They're mentioned in Ephesians 4.11 as pastor teachers, along with apostles, prophets, and evangelists. These were individuals gifted for teaching and making the truth clear to others. And this is an ongoing need in the body of Christ as well. We could all name teachers today that serve in the local body or in other kind of parachurch ministries or in different ways. Maybe you've been taught through a book or a a series. There's many teachers that we would think, this person has an affinity for this, and they're helping the body to grow and mature. Okay. 
I'm going to move on a little bit here. He, and, and notice again, he goes one, two, three, prophets, apostles, prophets, teachers. And so far, we've made it clear, as we've talked about these gifts a little bit more in depth, these gifts were like very ministry-oriented in the sense of like, you, let me tell you who Jesus Christ is. Whether it was an apostle, a prophet, or a teacher, let me give you directly the truth about Jesus Christ that's going to impact and change your life. It's not that the other gifts aren't important, but if you're, if you're, if you're looking at a, what's going to impact the most people, what's, what's, going to be, what's really going to help somebody here, I think that's where the first, second, third is. Like, we want people who can share the truth with others. That's, that's, what, that's what, you know, it's kind of a primary need, right? To always be hearing the truth. Unbelievers need to hear the truth. Believers, we need to be reminded of the truth. This is sort of a primary need that's ongoing. And these other gifts, they come in too, but he says, and then afterwards, and he says, miracles. And he's got in mind probably this whole host of powers that people were working in the Acts period, and it's hard to, to nail it down exactly what a miracle is, but I mean, people raised the dead. Uh, things like that were going on. Things we, we don't see today in that sense because we believe they've passed off the scene. Gifts of healings. There's somebody who could go out and lay hands on people and, and heal them in an instant, as Peter did, as Paul did, as others in the New Testament did. We don't see that today. We see people claiming it, but we don't see it. And then he talks about helps and administrations. And again, these words aren't super clear, but helps probably is just what it sounds like. People who were just had an affinity to help in ministry or in needs could come alongside people and, and, and add a helping hand in a special way. Um, maybe through serving, giving, coming alongside. Then there's administrations, which speaks to those equipped to manage ministry affairs, probably you know, an affinity for like organization and function and like this is how we should do this. That kind of a thing. And then at the very end of the list, and that's on purpose, this is on purpose, that this is the very end of the list, he says varieties of tongues, meaning the miraculous ability to speak in a foreign language. And it passed off the scene as the word of God came complete, as Israel was set aside. We'll see that in chapter 13 when we get there even more clearly. The miraculous part of these gifts passed off because they were a sign. But what has remained is the function to minister, to teach, to serve others. So he lays these out in accordance to what's going to help people. Not what's going to make you look good, what's going to help people. What's going to help people? Again, this is not God necessarily saying this is more important than this. We need this, but we don't need that. That's not him. He's saying what's going to help people right here. And what's just for show? And then he, then he asks these rhetorical questions, a series of rhetorical questions. And in the Greek, the word no is supplied in every one. Are all apostles? No. Are all the prophets? No. Teachers? No. Workers of miracles? No. Gifts of healings? No. Tongues? No. Interpreters? No. No, not everybody's that. Again, we need the body. The Corinthians' problem was devaluing certain individuals because they devalued their gift, what they contributed. They simply did not rank that like God ranked it. They didn't see the value in every member, and that was their problem, which was leading to divisions. You know, again, when 9-11 struck, for the people, in the victims in the Twin Towers or the Pentagon, 
you know, it, it, it didn't, it wouldn't have mattered in that moment, you know, whether the people around them were gifted athletes or intellectuals, it wouldn't have really mattered whether they were exceptionally strong or beautiful. It wouldn't have really mattered necessarily how eloquent they were or how many touchdowns they had scored in college. What mattered was people willing to help others despite the cost to themselves. And that's what I think we see here in this passage, Paul reminding, of that, of, of, uh, reminding us of that in the body of Christ. What matters mo- most is not what you think you can do. It's are you willing to come alongside people and minister to them and help them? Because that's what we're called to, to lay down self and esteem others better. We are here to be a blessing, just like those people at 9-11 were who went into the rubble, went into the fiery buildings to help others. As we come up, we get close to ending here, but verse 31, he tells them, earnestly desire the best gifts, and I show you a more excellent way. Desire the best gifts. We've got to explain that. But here is simply the idea of learning to pursue God's best. What does God value as best? That's the first question again. The church is to desire the best gifts to manifest within the assembly. I pull that point from the first half of verse 31. When he tells them earnestly desire the best gifts, he's speaking to them as a group collectively, plural in the Greek. You as a church desire the best gifts. I don't believe he's telling individuals that you should really try to be an apostle, even if you're not. I don't think he's telling that. It would be contradictory of everything that came before that God places you in the body where he pleases. He said it twice in this passage. So he's not saying really, really work hard and be what you're not. <laughs> that would be a very defeating message. But he's saying you as an assembly desire the best gifts. I think what the, the thought is you as a group desire that the gifts that are helpful and impactful manifest themselves within your group so you can be more effective as the body. Maybe he's telling them that if they would get their mind on spiritual things, God would be able to work in their assembly and maybe there would come out of there more teachers, more missionary type people people that would be willing to go out for the lord you're not going to go into a place like the corinthian church where they're basically having a food fight at communion if you ask kind of a goofy way of saying it they were fighting over food basically you're not going to go there looking for missionaries and elders and teachers i hope not anyway if you do then let me know i'll tell you go somewhere else (laughs) maturity is required but i but he's telling them as a group you want to see in your own assembly god raise up individuals that can help others and I, I maybe even for us we could think about that today maybe we have young people here and we could challenge young people there's so many things in the world you can do so many ways God can use you you don't you don't limit it to anything and we're, we're going to be excited wherever God leads anybody in this group but it would be neat to see missionaries or other teachers rise up right out of out of the ranks if you will as God as God leads it's up to him to place but we would want to see that. We wouldn't want to sit here and you, all you get up and speak in a tongue because, again, it wouldn't really serve any purpose. But if we had people, and we were sending people out from this church, if you will, we would be impacting others more directly. So I think that's the mentality Paul was saying. Be zealous of the best gifts. Desire the greater gifts, you could say. But I think he's saying as a plural, you want to see those, you want to see people go out and help people. That's what's greater. And again, when we use the word greater, it's not importance. It's simply what's going to help people. 
And it doesn't really matter how you're gifted. You can always have that bent. You can always have that attitude. I'm going to go out and help people. I mean, that's what all these gifts ultimately were for. But we get caught up in this worldly value system and we get off mark. The last point is the surpassing gift is expressing God's love in our lives. He ends this chapter by saying, I want to show you a more excellent way. He's talked about these gifts. He's, he's, he's helped them kind of work through these things, have the right attitude. It's about giving, not receiving, when it comes to these gifts. It's about valuing what helps people over what makes you look good. It's about seeing people serve others and, and however their giftedness. But he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that's what's coming in chapter 13. It's the way of love. The way of love. That's what they were missing in all these different issues is they simply didn't love each other. When they formed their party divisions, when they were ruining communion, when they were devaluing people's spiritual gifts, they were not loving others. And he leads them to this most excellent way. It may even be that his idea was, let me show you what the greatest gift of all is, and that's to love someone. That's the most you can do for anybody is to love them as Christ loves them while you're on this earth. Again, the Corinthians, they wanted to be viewed highly. They were almost superhuman in their gifts, but they were more like the man at the gym who's flexing his muscles in the mirror and not doing anything good with his strength, right? Going back to 9-11, again, that was a terrible thing that happened, and yet out of the horror and adversity came not superheroes, but men and women of character determined to serve others by rushing into collapsing buildings, pulling people from the rubble, spending hours looking for bodies, getting down in the dust and grime to help however they could. And we see in that a type of what's ideal for us, what a Christian ought to be day in and day out. Somebody willing to get into the mess with people to help them get out using whatever God has gifted us to his glory and service to others. Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time in your word and the challenge of it and the comfort that it brings. Lord, may we see things as you see them. May we value things as you value them, Lord, and recognize that ultimately your heart is to serve and minister to people, and that's why we're here. We're not here for our own glory. We're not here to showcase what we can do. We're simply here to serve you and love you, and we do that when we love others, when we love our spouse, when we love our children, when we love our neighbor, when we love people in our community, and we serve them, Father. So may all of us, whatever gift we have, whatever place in our body, be about that. So we ask this in your son's name. Amen.